in, we're going to do a comparison study of the Gospels in regards to a woman. And then if we have time, we're going to compare that comparison study in the Gospels to this woman with a character in the Bible that you know very, very well in regards to Judas. But before we get there, let's begin. I want to start in Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to read the passages. And as we read the passages, we're going to compare some ideas or observations. That's the better word. In Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 6. Matthew 26, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 6. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring out this ointment on my body, she have done it to prepare me for burial. Now watch this last part of the verse here. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So let's just take some observational points. I've already put them on the screen for time purposes, but let's make some observational points here. Number one, Jesus is in what town? What town is he in? He's in Bethany. And whose house is he at? Whose house is he at? He's at Simon the leper's house. There's a woman that comes in and she brings in an alabaster box and this alabaster box is full of ointment. And this ointment, is it cheap, my friends? Is it cheap ointment? No, this is very expensive ointment. And when, when, and when this happens, now I don't know if you've ever been eating before, and as you're eating, someone has this extremely powerful perfume. But you do realize that your taste buds are connected to your nose. And if you're eating and you're having lunch together and someone comes in and breaks open an alabaster box, somehow your meal is going to be disturbed. What do you say? So this pouring of the ointment disturbs the meal. The disciples are upset. They are indignant. They are saying, this is not the appropriate time. It's not the appropriate place. And it's definitely not a great use of funds. The disciples are indignant. But Jesus protects the woman. Leave her be. She is doing something, preparing me for our burial. I put baptism. Jesus says, this woman's story, now I thought about this, I, I constantly think about this, and this is why I love this story, the more, you'll see why I love it in a few moments. Jesus says about this woman, the actions that she has taken will be told as a memorial of her until the end of time. Do you see it? 
Let's go a little further. Let's go to Mark. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 3. Again, the same story told, but each gospel writer has a slight nuance in their observations. In Mark chapter 14, we're going to start at verse number 3. We will read, and it says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure spikenard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it on his, what did he pour it on? Where, where'd she pour it? On his head. Well, that's different. It says, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to who, my friends? To the poor. And they scolded her. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can go do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to, to betray him. So let's make some observations. You've already been looking at them, I know. The town Jesus is in is in Bethany. Same thing. Simon, leper, Simon the leper's house is where he's at. Same thing. This one says that the woman brings an alabaster box full of spikenard. A little bit more specific, right? A little bit more detail. This one says uh, he, she break the box and poured it on the head of Jesus. The other one said he put it on Jesus' head while eating. No. This one says some had indignation within themselves, and they said it's a waste, but this time they put a, a monetary value on the waste. They said it could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. Now, if you pay attention to that 300 denarii, 300 pence, that is a year's wages. But wait, we'll get to that point in a moment. Jesus protects the woman, just like in the other story. She has anointed my, uh, my, my body for baptism or burial. Jesus says this woman's story will be told as a memorial. And then after all this beautiful situation, after all that's taking place, Judas says, I'm about to go and betray our king. Let's look at the third one. Luke chapter 7. In fact, before we go there, let's go to Luke chapter 7. Let's read Luke chapter 7, and we're going to begin at verse 36. And here, Luke, as the physician, of course, is more detailed. And Luke chapter 7, and we're going to begin reading at verse 36. The Bible says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet 
Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Hmm. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other, other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Question. Answer. Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second. I always love how Jesus asks questions. Remember, if Jesus ever asks you a question, just know he's not asking you because he doesn't know. He's asking you a question so that you can examine yourself to see where you truly are. Verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Man, wait till I get to that verse. But she, but he who is forgiven little, loves how much? I hope you get it. I mean, that's the sermon right there. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's make some observations. So now it doesn't tell us where he is, except that he's at a Pharisee's house. So now we find that Simon the leper was one of the what? One of the Pharisees. The woman who brings in the alabaster box is just no ordinary woman. This woman, quote-unquote, is a sinner, and she's known around the city. The other observation is, this time, instead of the ointment being poured on her head, the Bible highlights that the ointment is on the feet of Jesus. She's wiping his feet with her hair. She's wetting his feet with her tears. This Situation is out of the ordinary, my friends. I promise you, you never had anything like this happen to you. The Pharisee speaks within himself. See, in the other passages, it's highlighting the disciples. The disciples are having these conversations. They're having this little dispute. This money should have been used for this. But this Pharisee has a conversation within himself. And because Jesus is divine and connected with the Almighty God, reads into the heart of the Pharisee and says, Pharisee, Simon. And begins to speak to him in regards to the issue of Simon's heart. Jesus protects the woman. 
goes into the parable, says there are two debtors. Love much because she was forgiven much. Love little because you're forgiven little. Your faith has saved you. But let's go a little bit further. Let's go to John chapter 11. I'm, I'm laying the foundation because we're, going to, we're laying this broad foundation because the application and the implications of the chapter reverberate all the way down to the end of time. John chapter 11, one of my favorite chapters. I mean, if you don't know John 11, you should have known what chapter this is about. This is Lazarus coming forth. This is one of the most beautiful chapters in all the scriptures, but particularly we're going to focus on the end part of it. In John chapter 11, and we're going to begin at verse 55. And mind you, keep in mind now, Lazarus has been raised from the dead in John chapter 11, okay? So verse 55, verse 55 says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover for what action? What, were, what are they going to do? What are they going to do, my friends? They're purifying themselves. They're doing their religious duty. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So again, the context of this now broadens. Now, this is just not a happy time. This feast that's about to, that we're about to read about is happening under the context that there is an assassination plot upon our Lord. And this has come from the Pharisees. But let's go a little bit further. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now watch, friends, the nuance of this. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Hmm. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Oh, that's interesting. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for or about the poor, but because he was a, what's it say, my friends? And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not, I mean, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Observations. Where is Jesus having this feast at? Where is this feast happening? In Bethany. Guess who's at the party? Lazarus, Martha, 
and Mary. But this is a unique story because you've never had anyone at your house, for the most part, that's been dead for four days, raised from the dead, and sitting at the table. You ever had a party like that? Sitting at the table with Jesus. Mary takes a pound of ointment, a spike nard. What's a pound of ointment, man? Anoints the feet of Jesus, wipes it with her hair, and the house is filled with odor. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. Wait, did y'all read that? It's not in my version. That's horrible. And this is not my Bible either. Someone add the King James for me. Just, just read it out loud. I'm okay. Just read it out loud. What does it say? King James Version. What verse is that? Verse number four. It says, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. Now, for a moment, I just want you to observe the text. I just want you to observe the text. You notice in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or Matthew, Mark, it seems like the disciples are murmuring, right? Everybody's upset. Have you paid attention to Brother Fiedler's presentation at all? Do you understand what happened? Judas leaned over and spoke to Peter, because Peter's the loudmouth. Peter, man, don't you think that money could have been spent better? Peter's like, yes! That money should have been better. And then everybody's yeah, that, that money should. And that's how it started. started. Judas didn't do it by himself. Judas leaned over. He was the smartest one in the group. So take the story in its totality. That's what, that's what I like to do. I, I like to take the scriptures. I like to look at them in their totality. Jesus is at, in Bethany. He's at Lazarus, Martha, and Mary's house. Mary, in this story, Mary is not, um, what's the best word I'm going to use here? If you go back to the other parts in Luke, it says that she was a sinner. Mary, the one that you know that sat at the feet of Jesus, you know that one? That same Mary, that Mary, the Bible says that seven demons were cast out of her. We're talking about this Mary. You thought Mary was just the one that said the feet of Jesus. The reason why she was sitting at the feet of Jesus is because Jesus had done so much for her. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus had somehow, in some way, in some supernatural intervention, as he was traveling hither and yon, he had fell in love with this family, Lazarus and Martha and Mary. Can you imagine? Now, it says, in the Bible, it says seven times a demon was cast out of her. Now, I've only seen, at least as I am aware of, in my experience, maybe three times demon possession. Seen it, in the midst of it, had to pray over the person, demon leaves. Can you imagine a demon come in seven times? And, and when the Bible talks, remember Jesus talks about if you clean the house and you don't fill it back up, what happens the next time? Worse than the first. So she had it seven times. I mean, each time it was worse than the first time. 
And Jesus, with his power, is able to expel the demon out of her seven times to the point in her experience when Jesus comes in, she realizes that salvation is there. She sits down and she stops and she stops everything she's doing just to hear the words of Jesus. Listen to me, my friends. Listen to me. There is a danger that we are so busy for the master that we don't sit at his feet. We're so busy running hither and yon, we're going to do this evangelism, we're going to do that evangelism, we're going to teach and we're going to preach, but we don't sit at his feet not getting it. And let me tell you something, Mary is special. I'm going to show you how uh, not the way the world sees her as special, not the way the universal church sees her as special. I'm going to show you how special God sees her as she is a symbol of God's last day church. But wait. Remember, there's this other character there. So there's Mary who gives, and I, what I did was I looked up, I looked up 300 pence. I had to do some research. So what it says is one pence was equal to one day's wages for a working class person. 300 pence would be equal to one year's wages. If 8 to $15 is a typical day for the working class, it would have been valued anywhere between $16,000 and $31,000 for a pound of ointment. What would possess, listen to me, what would possess somebody to buy some ointment to put on somebody? Listen, she took the oil and put it on it, $16,000, $31,000 on somebody's head. What would possess a woman to do that? Now, I'm, I, I'm thinking about it, and I, and I was reading through inspiration because I don't like to make stuff up. So I was reading through inspiration, and she says in Desire of Ages that Mary loved Jesus. She first, sitting at the feet of Jesus, one of the only disciples to truly get in her brain that Jesus was about to die. Jesus repeated over and over again. I have a whole sermon on that one. So he repeated over and over, Jesus is about to die. So she was convinced Jesus was about to die, so she wanted to do something special to show her love for Jesus while he was alive. Everybody want to give flowers when folks are dead. Everybody want to show appreciation when somebody has passed away. Too late. But something else interesting popped up as I was studying. She says... Well, it was going around that Jesus was about to be crowned king. So she said, well, if he's not going to die and he's going to be crowned king, I want to be one of the first to give him my love. Y'all not hearing this thing. She wanted to be the first to give her love to her king. So what she do? She buys his ointment, pours it all on his head, a whole year's wages, on his head, weeps at his feet, wipe, takes her hair, takes her hair, and again, you know this in scripture, a woman's glory is her what? So she takes her hair, her glory, and puts it at his feet. She takes her glory and she lays it in the dust. 
Why? Because Jesus had done so much for her. Nothing to withhold. Nothing to hold her back. Love was her constraining, moving power. Now, it's interesting, as you observe, Simon the leper, who Jesus had healed from leprosy, right? Jesus had healed him from leprosy, looks upon the woman, and in his pharisaical position, condemns her. Yes? When he condemns her, Jesus breaks out this parable. And I do want to go back and look at this parable for a moment because I believe, brothers and sisters, if we can get it, we can get off this planet. Go back to the parable in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Jesus begins the parable in verse 40. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in verse 40. It says, that Jesus answered to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them loved him more? Time and answer. The one, I suppose, for whom he counseled the larger debt. And he said unto him, you have judged rightly. Now, for a moment, I'm going to read this to you. It should be on the screen here. Desire of Ages, 566, paragraph 5. Look at what it says. Simon had led into sin the woman he now despised. You see that? Simon had led into sin the woman he now despised. She had been deeply wronged by him. Wait a second. What are we talking about? Remember, if Simon says his mind, if he knew who she was, well, how did he know who she was? He knew who she was because he had dealt with her. He had led her into whatever she was in. By the two debtors of the parable, Simon and the woman were represented. Interesting. Who owed more? Wait, wait. Who, if, if I were to throw it to you, I, I, don't, I just want to see what you would say. Based on the story, if Simon represents one person and the woman represents the other, and one owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50, in this group between Simon and the woman, who owed more, Simon or the woman? And now, now I'm, a, I'm asking the question, if, if and again, I'm going to clarify in a moment, but if Simon owed more, why did he owe, why did he love less? Listen to me, listen to me. Listen to me carefully. The reason why we don't love the way we should love, because we don't understand how much we've been forgiven. Huh? We don't understand how much we, see, this is what we do. This is my little sin. This is their big sin. 
The conference is in apostasy. Little sin, I, I must have little sin. I, I, I still am, ve- I'm a vegan. Huh? I have dress reform. I attend church every Sabbath. I attend on Wednesdays too. I'm on the prayer line. Therefore, because I do X, Y, Z, they don't do any of these things. Sinners! Wait. Wait. The sinner, that, that guy out there smoking weed and doing drugs out there? Sinner. Homosexual, transvestite? Sinner. Everybody's a sinner but me. But wait a second. When this woman recognizes God and appreciates God's great love for her, there is nothing that she is willing to withhold from her master. She is willing to give everything, even to the point of personal embarrassment, my friend. It's like, how are we going to finish the work? We must recognize our great high priest is in heaven for me. For me. You know that song? It's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And then it goes through, not the preacher or the deacon, but it's standing in the need of prayer. Then that's all this. See, this woman recognized in her experience with her master, with her Lord, she was the one in need of prayer. She was the one that grace had been extended to. She was the one, and in it, it's not like she, if you read the rest of the passage, it's not like she went in to receive forgiveness, but when she went in to her master, he tells her, go in peace. He didn't, she didn't go in there to receive peace. She went in there to, to show her love. Father, this is what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to give all. Go in peace, daughter. Listen to me. Judgment was cast in her favor. If you missed it, I can't help you. Judgment was cast in her favor. Has she done anything of perfection? Has she reached any? No, 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 no. She recognized her condition, and in recognizing her condition, this is where God can help. Seventh volume of the Testimonies, page 17 says, Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly upon the merits of the Savior. God will send every angel in heaven to the aid of such a one rather than allow him or her to be overcome. So tell me something. If you're being overcome, if the enemy is beating you up, it may be that you are leaning too much on your own strength. 
It may be that you think too highly of yourself. It may be that you have not seen Jesus in his absolute, wonderful, perfect purity. But when you see him, your, how your mouth will be shut. The angels who have never sinned cry, holy, holy, holy. Because we do not recognize our condition that we find ourselves betraying our Lord, loving our sins. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to be honest. I want you to signify by raising your hand if you affirm to what I'm going to ask you. How many of you love Jesus? Just raise your hand. All right. I want to show you something. Judas had joined the disciples when multitudes were following Christ. The Savior's teaching moved their hearts as they hung entranced upon his words. Spoken in the synagogue, by the seaside, upon the mount, Judas saw the sick, the lame, the blind, flocked to Jesus from towns and cities. He saw the dying laid at his feet. He witnessed the Savior's mighty works in healing the sick and casting out devils and raising the dead. Pause for a second. I want you to think, if you were there and you saw Jesus do all those things, wouldn't you want to follow him everywhere? But he's the Messiah. He's, watch. He felt in his own person the evidence of Christ's power. He recognized the teaching of Christ as superior to all that he had ever heard. I've heard people say, I hear it even now, having is truth, this is the truth. There is nothing that matches the depth of our truth. Is that right, my friends? But let me drop this. Let me drop this in here, my friends. Let me drop this in here. He loved the great teacher and desired to be with him. Wait, wait. You told me you love Jesus. I th you thought you were safe, didn't you? He loved the great teacher and desired to be with him. He felt a desire to be changed in the character and life, and he hoped to experience this through connecting himself with Jesus. The Savior did not repulse Judas. He gave him a place among the twelve. He trusted him to do the work of an evangelist. Wait, wait. Are you telling me Jesus let Judas in, and he knew Judas was not converted. Not only did he do that, he gave Judas the bag, and he knew Judas was stealing. Not one time did Jesus rebuke Judas. Not one time did he expose Judas, because he loved Judas. Bring them close to me. Jesus says, if, if I could just bring him close, maybe... The Savior did not repulse Judas. He gave him a place among the twelve. He trusted him to do the work of an evangelist. He endowed him, listen, listen, he endowed him with power to heal the sick and cast out devils. He did all of that for Judas, and Judas is not converted. Sometimes he puts preachers in pulpits to save them. Sometimes he calls you to be medical missionaries to save you. But Judas, let me back up. 
So remember, all these, all these characteristics, all these characteristics, see these characteristics? We, he, he was moved at the teaching of Jesus. He wanted to be around his words. He saw the sick, lame, blind, healed, uh, dying come to Jesus, being brought back to life. He saw the mighty works of God. He saw devils being cast out. He saw people raised from the dead. He loved Jesus. All these characteristics, you would think this man was gold. But here's the problem. But Judas did not come to the point of surrendering himself fully to Christ. He did not give up his worldly ambition or his love of money. While he accepted the position of a minister of Christ, he did not bring himself under the divine molding. He felt that he could retain his own judgment and opinions, and he cultivated a disposition to do what? Tell me, this is the characteristic of Judas. Criticize and accuse. Well, why? Why would you criticize and accuse? The only way that you could possibly criticize and accuse is because you believe you're on vantage ground. He loved Jesus. But let me ask you a question, and this is a personal question. I don't want you to respond to me directly. This is you and Jesus right now with your own heart. I want you to ask yourself a question. Have you come to a point where you have surrendered your whole self to Christ? Fully. Because as I told you yesterday or the other day when I was speaking, there's one thing that neutralizes the power of the gospel, and that's cherished sin. Jesus, you can have everything else but this. You can have everything else. Just leave my favorite TV show. It's only one show. You can, and listen, it's funny. It's not funny. I, I shouldn't use that word. It's, it's, it's strange. You know how uh, Elder, Elder Narlin was talking about, behold, I stand at the door and knock. The church of Laodicea, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know how he's talking about going in and you got to clean up this room first and clean up this room first, clean up this room. Let me tell you something. If, if Jesus comes in and he says, and he let's say he starts in the, in the living room where you have your, you know, your flat screen and, you know, all that stuff. He walks in there. And you start, he starts on something small. Please give up Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. Something simple. So he takes away Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh go. Winnie the Pooh. The bear. Winnie the Pooh. She's confused. Then he goes on. He progresses a little bit further. You know what? I want you to go ahead and leave off scandals. Scandal. Scandals. Takes that. Now, mind you, some of these things you can do when no one's looking. If your religion simply is a conformity to conservatism, again, I, I challenge you, don't live that way. Your Christianity is seen by God himself. So he goes in and he just, and he, every time he tests you now, every test, everything he touches on, everything he touches on is simply a test as to whether or not you will give him permission to take from you 
and then give you something better. You know the little picture they have on, on, online, I've seen it many times. Here's Jesus and he has a, the little girl has a little teddy bear. You seen that picture? Yeah, Jesus, the, the little girl has a teddy bear and Jesus has this big bear behind his back. But he's asking for the teddy bear. And the little girl's crying, she doesn't want to give her her little teddy bear. She doesn't realize that what Jesus has behind his back is something better. Something better, my friends. So if you give up that sugar, Jesus says what? I need you to talk back to me, crier. Something better. If Jesus takes away your favorite TV program, what does he have? Something what? Something better. Jesus has something better for you, my friends. The thing is, you don't trust him. You have your opinions and your judgments. You think you know better than God. You thought you were so educated that you couldn't learn anything more at the feet of Jesus. The remnant people of God have access to the most holy place. You can't just run in there and be whatever you want to be. What happens is, as you're invited into the presence of God, the infulgent glory of God, the, the imminent glory of light, as you walk into his presence, you begin to see yourself as you really are, which is just advanced dust particles. When you see yourself as you truly are, the question is, will you let him transform you? This woman, do you, do you realize the language that is used? Like when she broke the alabaster box over his head, the perfume filled the whole room. Do you realize that's the same language in Isaiah chapter 6 where the whole, the, the whole temple was full of his glory? Do you see that's the same language in Isaiah chapter 60? Arise and shine for your light has come for the earth is full of, your glo of his glory. Do you realize it's the same in Daniel chapter 2 when the rock cut out without hands strikes the image at the feet and the mountain fills the whole earth? Do you see that it's the same in Revelation chapter 18 that the light that comes down from heaven fills the whole earth with his glory? The glory of God will be demonstrated in sacrifice just like at Calvary where we put our all for the master where there is no reservation where every dollar is his where every time component of our experience is his. Somebody says, Andre, that sounds restrictive. That's only restrictive if you're not in love. See, when you're married, you have one wife. Somebody says that's restrictive. That's because they're not in love. He wants all of you. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to have an appeal. And as my friends come to play, begin to play the appeal, I'm going to ask one serious question. I want you to think about it as they play. Have you given your all? Are you fully surrendered to Christ? When you have given your all, it will not be hard to give your money to feed the poor. When you have given your all, it will not be hard when the Spirit of God says, go to Timbuktu, 
Leave everything behind. You will go to Timbuktu and leave everything behind because your master, the love of your life, has called you. So as they sing, I want you to ask the question, have you given your all? Have you given your all? Don't resist his call for you. There is no joy. There is no peace. There is no safety outside of Jesus. Father, you see your saints. Please do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. May the love that you are extending to us be so overflowing, Father, that we show this love to as many people as possible so you can come. Please, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.